this is the fifth and final week of our series, Explore God, and uh, it has been unprecedented, as I've said, over 50 churches in 16 cities spread throughout the triangle doing the same series together. I think it sent a powerful message to our community that is churches that are based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not in competition with each other. We actually have the same goal, and it's that that's every man, woman, and child that lives in the triangle has multiple opportunities to see, to hear, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's been a great series. This weekend, we're wrapping up the series by asking the question, can I know God personally? Now, since this is the last week, next week is Mother's Day, and next week, I'm going to be talking to the men, okay? And the topic is this, it's the top three needs of women, okay? That's what we're gonna be talking. So ladies, let me tell you, get your man here next week. Whatever relationship, we're gonna talk about how do we break down these barriers between men and women, and then on Father's Day, I'm gonna talk to the ladies about uh, the top three needs of men, but men, next week, you just gotta sit and take it, okay? So I'm gonna be talking to all of us next week, and I hope you'll be here. But speaking of relationships, let me just start by asking you a question. How many of you would say you're in some kind of relationship? It could be a marriage relationship, parent-child relationship. You could have a friend at school or work or, or maybe in the neighborhood, but you're in some kind of relationship. Just raise your hand. Yeah, see, all of us are in some kind of relationship, and there's a reality that we're all familiar with when it comes to our relationships, and it's this. When we offend someone, there's a wall that goes up between us and the person we've offended. I mean, this happens all the time in marriages, right? You do something, you accidentally say something wrong, you do something wrong, or in my case, you just do something stupid, right? And you just just sense the wall go up. And I'll say, Laura, what's wrong? Nothing. But see, I know, I know, I know that the wall is up. And when the wall goes up, we all know, regardless of the relationship, depending on the nature of the offense, it can take some time for that wall to actually come down. I mean, if it's a small offense, maybe the wall is only going to be up for an hour. If it's a bigger offense, it might be up for a day. In some cases, it may be up for weeks and months. I mean, some of you here this weekend, you've been estranged from people for years because of something that happened in your past. You offended them. They've never forgiven you. As a result, the wall has never come down. And so there's this sense of isolation. There's this sense of separation in your relationship. If, if it's a family, every time you get together in the same room together at the holidays, there's all this tension. You feel it every year. Now, here's the problem. We just assume since that's the way it works in our relationship, well, it must work the same way in a relationship with God. We assume when we sin, we assume when we do something wrong, there's a wall that goes up. You know, maybe if we're speeding and we're not obeying the governing authority, or maybe we gossip or slander about someone. See, in our mind, that's not a big deal. So maybe God only puts a wall up for about 15 minutes, right? But yet, if you cheat on your expense account, that's a bigger deal. So maybe the wall goes up for a week. But you, if you do one of the big ones, like murder and adultery, see, from our perspective, it's like, wow, the wall may never come down. But when we sin, we just naturally assume that a wall goes up between God and us. And one of the reasons we assume that is because, understand, a wall does go up on our side of the relationship when we sin. And it's because, see, we feel alienated. We feel like we're on the outs. We feel like God is angry at us and we assume that our feelings must also reflect how God feels about us. And the reason we feel that way, and this is kind of a principle we're gonna work off of this weekend, is this. We underestimate the significance of what God did for us at the cross, and we overestimate the significance of what we do in our relationship with him. Let me say that again. We underestimate the significance of what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, and we overestimate the role that we play in our relationship with God. So naturally, we think, when we, well, when we sin, we're on the outs, right? When we're sin, God is mad at us. When we sin, God puts the wall up, right? And at the same time, we, 
we kind of live with the illusion, you know, if I can just be consistent enough, if I can just be good enough, if I can just get my act together, somehow my standing in God's eyes is going to go up. Somehow I'm gonna be a little more acceptable. I'm gonna be a little more lovable for God. Somehow I'm gonna be closer to God. And the reason we think that way is because we underestimate the significance of what God did for us at the cross and we overestimate the significance of what we do in our relationship with him. So we're gonna talk about this week, that this weekend. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter five. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're gonna put the verses up on the screen. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter five, I want you to understand that the person who wrote what we're getting ready to look at, it's a great example, it was the Apostle Paul. And understand, if you know the story, Paul was saved while he was on his way to persecute and imprison Christians. So when you think about it, here we have a guy who is intentionally working against God, right? But God still saves him. God still brings him into a relationship with himself. And it's because, as you're going to see this weekend, that's the nature of the gospel. The gospel is about God giving us what we could never earn, God giving us what we do not deserve. That's the system God operates by. But this is what's interesting. As Christians, once we get past the point of salvation. In other words, once we've accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross, paying for our sins so we could be restored back into a relationship with God, once we accept God's gift of salvation, we assume that God now has a different system that he's gonna put into play for the relationship part. For example, one system, you know, when it comes to salvation, oh, that's about mercy and grace and love and forgiveness, and we love that part of the Christian life. But then once we're in the relationship with God, we assume that it's a new system and the new system has to do with laws and rules and do's and don'ts and that determines if we're gonna have a relationship with God or not. But what we're gonna see over the next few minutes is that God never changes systems. We're gonna see that just as God is willing to enter into a relationship with us regardless of what we've done, we saw that in the case of the Apostle Paul just a minute ago, he's also willing to continue in a relationship with us regardless of what we do. And I know what some of you are thinking have been around church for a while. I don't believe that. See, that's why we have to talk about it this weekend. So let's talk about it. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, Paul says this, this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now understand, when we think about salvation, we, we think in terms of belief. We think in terms of behavior. In other words, we think things like, now that I believe differently, I'm gonna clean up my act. I'm gonna get my act together and I'm gonna start behaving differently. But see, when you, when you think about it, both believe and behave, those are things that we do. Those are things that we're involved in. But this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter five, that we're looking at this weekend, this is referring to something that has absolutely nothing to do with us. This is not about us believing. This is not about us behaving. In fact, Paul is saying this, when we become Christians, there is a fundamental change at the soul and the heart level at our life, of our lives that most of the time we're not even aware of. In fact, we're not aware of it. And the fundamental change is this, at the moment of salvation, God makes us new. God makes us a new creation. Now, let me just say this. Our behavior may not immediately in our day-to-day -day life reflect this newness, but I gotta tell you, there's a fundamental change that takes place in our lives, and according to this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we become new creations. Verse 18, all of this, and this refers to the whole process of God making us new, all this is from God. Now, let me ask you a question. Who does all of this? 
Okay, this, this side of the auditorium kind of believed it, but let's say it one more time. Who does all of this? And what do we do? What's our part? Nothing. I mean, you can look all you want. We're not in that verse anywhere. Now, let me just say this. There are other verses in the Bible that talk about us believing certain things, and there are certain verses that talk about us doing certain things. But when it comes to what salvation, what Paul is talking about here, we don't get to play. It's like we're sitting over on the sidelines. All we get to do is watch. And so what Paul is basically saying is this. When we become Christians, God fundamentally changes us at the core of our being. In other words, we become something new. We become something we weren't before. We become a new creation. We don't become a better version of the old version of us. You don't become a better version of the old version of you. We all become brand new creatures. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. By the way, this word reconciled in the Greek means to make compatible. To make compatible. What does it mean? Well, let me give you an example. Let's decide, you, let's say one day you want to go to lunch and you're going to a little place somewhere and they don't take debit cards, they only take cash. You know, we still have some of those cool places around. So you got to get some cash and you go by the ATM to get 20 bucks because you, you don't worry about it because you know you got 63 bucks in the bank account, right? So 20 bucks is nothing. You put your card in, punch in 20 bucks and it comes up, oh no, insufficient funds. And it says you only have $4.23 in your bank account. So you got a problem. I mean, you got a discrepancy. You got to make it right. So you go into the bank and you ask for the bank manager and you say, man, there is something wrong with your bank. I'm supposed to have $63 in my bank account. And according to your computer, you, I only have $4.23. What's the problem? Now, at this point, let me just give you some advice if you're young. The bank never changes. Okay. The bank never budges. The banker, the bank president says, hey, Mabel. This young man thinks he has $63 in his bank account. Would you make sure he has $63 in his bank account? See, the bank doesn't do that. The bank says, you got a problem. We got to figure out what the discrepancy is. We got to reconcile this. And so they go on the computer and they say, well, according to our computer, you used your ATM card this morning at Starbucks and you spent $58.77. And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I did get two cups of coffee at Starbucks this morning. Yeah. And it... <laughs> And it was $58.77. That makes sense. That, now I understand why I only have $4.23 in the bank. But see, you've got to reconcile with the bank what you have, actually have. You've got to make sure what was incompatible between you and the bank is now compatible. You've got to make sure they fit together. See, that's what it means to be reconciled. Now look at verse 18 again. All of this is from God who reconciled, this is so key, reconciled us to himself. Do you know what that verse teaches? It teaches this. It teaches that before we were Christians, we didn't fit together with God. But this is what you need to hear. God so desperately wanted to be in a relationship with us. You know what he decided to do? He decided to reconcile us. But see, understand, just like the bank, God doesn't change. God doesn't adjust to us. God doesn't lower his standard so he can be reconciled to us. In order for us to be reconciled to God, see, God, he only has one option. God has to change us. And it's not just a matter of changing our behavior. Good gracious, our behavior is as inconsistent as the weather. I mean, our behavior is constantly changing. If it was based on our behavior, see, we would be reconciled one moment, and five minutes later, we would be unreconciled again. So God says, hey, we're not going to do that. 
That's not what this relationship's gonna be like. It's not gonna be up and down, in and out, hot and cold. I am going to make a permanent change at the heart and soul level of your life so you can be reconciled. I am gonna change you so that you fit with me. I'm gonna change you so that you can be accepted by me. I'm gonna make sure there's no longer any conflict between us. I'm gonna reconcile you. I'm gonna make you compatible with me. And he says, I'm gonna do it through Jesus. Look what it says, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then Paul begins to explain to us what had to happen for this reconciliation to take place. And, and this is where I'm just gonna tell you right now. If you've been a Christian for a while and maybe you've grown up in bad churches with bad teaching, this is where you're gonna start to put on the emotional brakes. But you gotta understand, the big barrier between God and us, understand, was our sin. I mean, God's holy, God's righteous. We're unholy and we're unrighteous. And since God isn't going to change, I mean, if he's gonna continue to be holy, if God's gonna continue to be righteous, then something had to be done about our unholiness. Something had to be done about our unrighteousness. And so for God to reconcile us, he had to do something permanently about the whole issue of sin. So look at what he did, verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now check this out. Maybe you've never seen this before. Not counting people's sins against them. You ever seen that before? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now this word counting, it doesn't surprise you. It's an accountant's term. It literally means to calculate. In other words, God decided I'm no longer gonna calculate their sin into the equation. I'm no longer gonna calculate their sin into our relationship. He decided I'm no longer counting their sins against them. To which we respond, but Mike, I still sin. And when I do sin, man, I still feel so guilty. Do you know what I think God's response would be? God's response would be, that's not my problem. That's your problem because you don't understand. So you're underestimating what I did for you at the cross. And I think there are a couple of reasons we have a hard time understanding what God has done for us. We can't wrap our heads around it. Here's the first one. See, this is not the way it works in our earthly relationships. We count one another's sins against them, right? See, you accept me, I accept you. You reject me, I reject you. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. You're mean to me, I'm mean to you. That's the way we work. it works in our relationship. So we don't understand this concept of not holding our sin against us. Here's the second one. We can't imagine sinning and it not bothering God. I mean, you didn't grow up in the Baptist church I grew up in. You didn't grow up in the Catholic church if you can believe you can sin and it doesn't bother God. But this is what this verse is teaching. God's saying, listen, let me tell you something. Your sin bothered me. In fact, it bothered me so much, I had to deal with it once and for all. And so I decided to make a fundamental change in you. I decided to reconcile you to me, and I reconciled you in such a way that sin can no longer come between us. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter when you do it. God says, from my vantage point, it is dealt with. And I know you feel guilty. And I know you feel like when you sin, you have to avoid me. But God said, hey, that's not my problem. That's your problem. I'm fine because you've been reconciled. Now, let me ask you a question. 
What if that ever got from here to here? What if that ever got from our head to our heart? See, we would quit thinking, I'm in because I've had a good week. And we would quit thinking, I'm out, I'm on the outs because I've had a bad week. That would never enter into the equation anymore in our relationship with God. But I mean, let's be honest, there's something in all of us, even as Christians, where somehow we feel like, man, we gotta get on God's good side. We gotta earn his favor. We gotta prove our worth. We kinda gotta pay our own way. But you gotta understand the danger of going down that road is that God's standard is so ridiculously high. I mean, God's standard is perfection. We're gonna lose every single time because no matter how good we are, we're never gonna be perfect. No matter how good we are, it's never gonna be good enough. No matter how good we are, it's never gonna really tip the scale in our favor. And understand, that's why God had to fix us internally. It's because we are so inconsistent externally. Now, we're getting to some verses right now that are going to blow your mind. In fact, if you're visiting this weekend and you're from another church, uh, this is what you're going to be thinking. I ain't coming back. That guy's a heretic. They ought to stone him, at least burn him at the stake, minimum, right? But before you flick your bick, let's see what these verses say. Look at, beginning in verse 20, look at this now. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, God is using us to get his message out to the world. He says, we employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Respond to the gospel. Accept God's free gift of salvation. Now he says this in verse 21. God who made him, God made him who had no sin, obviously a reference to Jesus, to be sin for us. In other words, this is what Paul is saying. God took Jesus the only one who ever got it right, the only one who's ever been perfect. God took Jesus, the only one who's ever been holy, the only one who could come to God based on his own merit, the only one who could come to God based on his own goodness and his own righteousness, and God took the one perfect person and placed on him all of our sin. In fact, look at the rest of verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now I'm gonna tell you how hard that is for us to believe. This is what I want you to do. I want you to say after me, I am the righteousness of God. Okay, ready, say it right now. Say, that sounds like an Episcopalian church. I don't think you really believe it. So let's try it one more time. Say, I am the righteousness of God. Now you know, you know, what? You know how we ought to be saying that? Wow! the righteous. I mean, you ought to be like you're at a football game, right? Do you know why we're so reserved? Because we're saying it, but our heart's not really in it. It's kind of like when you see those clips on TV with about the, the dog that rides the skateboard. You ever seen that? That little bulldog, he's got three legs on and one leg, you know, he's riding. I told Laura, yeah, he's riding it, but his heart's not in it. That's kind of that's how you responded. This is what you're thinking. I am the righteousness of God, but Mike, you don't know all the stuff I've done. Doesn't matter. I'm the righteousness of God, but Mike, you don't know what I'm capable of. Doesn't matter. God said, I took your past. I took your present. I took your future. I placed it all on Jesus, and he became the mess that you were. And then I took his perfection, and I took his righteousness, and I placed it on you, and I have declared that you are now as righteous as Jesus. And you hear that and think, trust me, Mike, I am not as righteous as Jesus. Well, guess what? 
If you're not as righteous as Jesus, then you're not compatible with God. See? Because see, he's the bank. He's not shifting. He's not budging. You're insufficient funds. So you're the one who needs a lot of help. And so God changed you so that you could fit with him. And you've been made compatible, reconciled to God. And the only way God could do it was by giving you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You now have the same standing before God as Jesus. In fact, he sees you as he sees his son, Jesus. But understand, it's not because of anything you've done that's good. And it can't be taken away because of anything you will do that's bad. It's simply based on what God has done for you. By the way, do you know why God did it? What's our question this week? Can I know God personally? God did it because he wants to be in a relationship with you. Not some, you know, professional, God, religious relationship. No, no. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with me. And the biggest barrier to God being in a relationship with us was our sin. I mean, let's be honest. Some days we're okay. Some, some days we're okay when it comes to our sin. But then there are other days we're an absolute disaster. I mean, if it was, if the relationship depended on our consistency, there wouldn't be any relationship with God. So God took what only Christ could do, and he said, listen, I'm gonna give it to you as a gift. He changed our standing, and now we have a righteous standing with the holy God. You know what that means? That means I can, that can, I can approach God the very same way that Jesus can approach God. I can approach him boldly with absolutely no fear of rejection. Now I wanna wrap this up by giving you four statements that are the practical implications of all of this when it comes to our relationship with God. I mean, these you may wanna write down. Here's the first one. You need to understand, our sin doesn't make us unacceptable to God. Now, it makes us feel like we're unacceptable. But you gotta understand, from God's perspective, our sin doesn't make us unacceptable. In fact, it is impossible to be separated from God because, see, as Christians, we've been reconciled. Here's the second one. We can take refuge in Christ when we sin. You know, when I was a kid, especially when I was a teenager, I, I told you I grew up in Baptist church all my life, right? And, uh, well, you know, I, I would run away from God. And, and when I would run away from God, I'd go my walk on the wild side. I, I decided to stay away from God for a while. I kind of figured, you know what? My sin's already separated me from God. I might as well stay out here and sin some more, you know? Enjoy it for a while because, you know, when I go back, there's no telling what God's going to make me do to get back on his good side, right? So I'll just kind of stay out here and sow my wild oats for a ride. The good news is this. When you are at your absolute worst, you don't have to worry about going back to God. You can immediately throw yourself on the mercy of God. And it's because as a Christian, you've been reconciled. And that means that your sin isn't going to separate you from the acceptance and the love of God. So listen, you can find refuge in him when you are at your worst. You don't, you don't have to work your way back in. Here's the third thing. The consequences of sin don't rob us of an intimate relationship with God. The consequences of our sin, they don't rob us from being in an intimate relationship with God. And I mention this because, see, I deal with people all the time who are working through the consequences of their sin. They come to me, the relationship's are busted up. They're estranged from their spouse. They're estranged from their kids. Maybe they got this incredible dad or this incredible addiction in their life. And they're dealing with all kinds of consequences. And the tendency is to think, the consequences of my behavior, it represents a barrier between me and God. 
See, I'm being punished, see? I'm being judged, I'm on the outs with God, right? And often they'll say, granted, it's, it's my own problem, I created this mess, but my consequences, they're a constant reminder of my failure, they're a constant reminder of my mistakes, they're a constant reminder I didn't live up to my role as a parent or I didn't live up to my role as a spouse. So the consequences of our sin, they make us feel separated from God. But the good news is this, and this is about as deep as I get, consequences are just consequences. Consequences are just consequences. They, they don't affect God's attitude towards you. They don't affect God's love towards you. They don't make you any less lovable. They don't make you any less acceptable. They're just consequences. I mean, you're in, you're reconciled. Your sin can't get between you and God no matter how extreme the consequences. And I know what some of you are thinking like right now, like, wow, Mike, I wish my relationship with God was like your relationship with God. I'll let you on the secret and I hate to disappoint you. I'm never any closer to God than you are. I mean, people come up to me, I was like, hey, say a little prayer for me. I know you got the inside track. Like, no, not really, not really. I'm no closer than you are. See, God reconciled you. God reconciled me. The consequences of our sin are just consequences. It has nothing to do with our relationship with God. Sin doesn't factor in. Hey, it's been removed. It no longer enters into the equation. It's no longer counted against us. God put, he put all that on Christ. Put his righteousness on us. That's the exchange that took place. Here's the fourth one. Since we didn't behave our way into a relationship with God, we can't misbehave our way out of a relationship with God. We didn't behave getting in, we can't misbehave our way out. Now this is what is known as the doctrine of eternal security, it's what we believe, it's what we teach at Hope, it's what we believe the Bible teaches. Eternal security just simply means once saved, always saved. I, I grew up in a church that didn't teach that. I grew up in a church that taught you could lose your salvation. I was pretty sure every Monday I had lost my salvation on the weekend. So every Sunday night at church, I go forward during the 414th stanza of Just As I Am, and I get saved one more time, because obviously you can't do what I just did on Friday night and be a Christian, you know what I'm saying, right? But when I really begin to understand God and his grace, I now believe once you're saved, you're always saved. I mean, if you could behave your way into salvation, then you could probably misbehave your way back out of salvation. But let me tell you, if God fundamentally changed you at the core of your life, if he fundamentally changed you at the core of your being, if God reconciled you, if God did all the work, I'm telling you, no matter what you do from this point forward, you can't get unreconciled. You didn't reconcile yourself. I'll just tell you this, I got a little phone call yesterday morning, and I just wanna throw this out there because see, it's a, it's a friend of hope, a friend of our staff, that we've known for a while. And I got a phone call yesterday, young man, three small children, gone through a divorce recently, and he took his life yesterday. And it just broke my heart. I mean, Laura and I were driving, we just grieved, because we know him. And I know, especially if you grew up Catholic, they, they taught you that if you take your life, that's it. That's kind of like the unpardonable. God's never gonna have anything to do with you. Let me just say this again. Once you're reconciled, no matter what you do from that point forward, you can't get unreconciled because you didn't reconcile yourself, God reconciled you, see? And I know what some of you are thinking right now, especially those of you who lean toward legalism. 
You think, wait a second, Mike. Are you telling me I can walk out of here this weekend and I can send all I want to and it is not going to affect my relationship with God? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, I understand that's not how we treat each other in our relationships, and that's not how we love each other in our relationships, and that's not how we accept each other in our relationships. Our relationships are very conditional. But you gotta understand that's how God treats us. And that's how God loves us, and that's how God accepts us. And see, we sang it earlier. That's why it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. It's not typical grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So if you can slide in and out of the relationship, that's not so amazing. If you can have it and then lose it, that's not so amazing. That's just typical. That's how we deal with our relationships. So yeah, you can walk out of here and do anything you want to do. It won't change your relationship with God. It won't change your standing with God. Now let me just say this. You will suffer consequences of your decision. Sin always has consequences. And I'll just add to this. God will probably discipline you. But even then he does it because he loves you. But I can tell you this right now, nothing you do will drive a wedge between you and God. Absolutely nothing. Do whatever you want to do. And after you've busted up your relationships, maybe after you've destroyed your integrity, your finances are a disaster, you got all the scars from your bad decisions, one day you'll finally turn around. And when you do, God will be standing there and he'll say, glad to have you back. And you'll probably respond, but aren't you mad at me? And God will say, no, no. I got mad at Jesus on your behalf. You say, well, aren't you going to punish me? He'll say, no. Mm-mm. I punished Jesus on your behalf. I'm just glad to have you back. I mean, let's clean you up. Let's get you moving in the right direction. I mean, isn't that the story of the prodigal son? Got all his wealth, left, blew it on wild living, ended up in a pig pen, came to his senses, said, I'm going home to daddy. And when he saw daddy, did he lecture him? Did he put him in timeout? I know he didn't give him a spanking. I heard from you guys when I kidded about, I mean, there's a verse in the Bible about spanking. I said, show me the one about timeout, but I ain't got it yet. But anyway, so, you know, did he put him on probation? So you got six months, we're gonna see how you do. No. He hugged him, he kissed him. He said, man, let's throw a party. My son's back. He was lost. And now he's found. Is that different than how you've always perceived your relationship with God? This is what God's saying to you. I have done everything I can do to make you having a relationship with me possible. And I think he would add, if you're staying away, it's not on me. If you're staying away, it's on you, because I'm head over heels in love with you, and I've done everything to make it possible for you to approach me. That's what God's holding out to you. If you've never made that decision, accept God's free gift of salvation. Jesus died for your sins so you could be reconciled back to God. You'll never get there on your own. You'll only get there through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're already a Christian, but you've been straying. You're afraid to come back. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, he's walking to the end of the road every day like the father of the prodigal son, looking, hoping today's the day you turn toward him. And he will be on you like ugly on whatever. 
I can't say that kind of stuff because I'm in church, but I used to be a PE major. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? He will be all over you. And he'll say, let's go. Let's go. Welcome back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... This kind of stuff blows our mind because we can't comprehend. We can't, we can't love this way. We don't, even, we don't even know how to begin to love this way. And what we've talked about, it, it, really is, it really is amazing grace. What we've talked about really is amazing love. And, and I know right now there's some people listening at all of our campuses that are having a really, really hard time believing all of this. And I think it's hard for them to believe it because this isn't the way they've ever been treated by anyone in a relationship on this earth. So this is what I pray. I pray that your spirit will work in their lives so that they can embrace this truth. And Father, right now I pray for the individual who is listening who's not a Christian. They've been through this whole series, they've listened, but they still are holding out. They still haven't made that decision, which is theirs. They have free choice to trust you. And again, the reason they're not a Christian is maybe because they can't imagine ever being accepted by you. But I pray what they've heard this weekend, I pray that it will change their hearts. I pray that it will change their minds. And I just thank you for loving us the way you love us. It is an amazing love. It's because of your amazing grace. And I just pray that we would begin to approach you the way that you've paved the way for us to approach you. And we pray all these things in your holy name.